It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Okay, welcome to Guy's Guy's Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guy's Guy's Radio. We're here to inform you, to inspire you, to empower you, to get you to think, feel, and hopefully act based on the stories, the journeys, the experiences of me and my guests, Guys Guys Radio, to help you kind of look beyond that fence in your backyard to see what else is out there. And then it's up to you to determine what information, what, what your takeaway is, and what you want to use out of it or not. That's what we do here on Guys Guys Radio, and we, we do it the best we can to make it fun for you. And we've got different types of guests from all over the spectrum. We've had wellness guests and metaphysical guests and spiritual teachers and sports personalities and a lot of different authors and channelers. And today we have got the most prolific actor in Hollywood. You know who that is? You know who has been in more projects across the spectrum of film, TV, reality TV, music videos, theater, who has done the most work? Who has been involved in the most projects and even music videos? Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts, the Oscar-nominated supporting role for Runaway Train. Eric Roberts, the dual lead in The Pope of Greenwich Village, where he played Paulie, that iconic character, The Bed Bug Took My Thumb. We all know that movie. It's a personal favorite. He was also in Star 80. He played the lead in Star 80 about the, uh, the murder of Dorothy Stratton. Um, he was in The Specialist. He was in The Expendables. I, I'm not going to list the other 590 <laughs> projects he's worked on, but we were talking to him from a recent interview I did with Eric on set of uh, a new project he's working on. So just as a little caveat and disclaimer, uh, he was outdoors on the set. He's doing Zoom. You can hear a little bit of the wind there. Uh, you know, it, 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 I could see him. He's right there. So the you know, scenery's being wheeled around behind him and all of that. So we did our very best with the sound. His wife was very lovely and accommodating and, uh, and also contributed to the interview. We had a great time. I have to tell you, Eric is a gentleman. And he's got a lot of great stories. And he's overcome. One of the reasons I really was so pleased uh, to have him on the show is that he's overcome adversities from uh, you know, being a stutterer as a kid and being in a coma from a car accident where he was trying to protect an animal, um, uh, one of the pets. And he went into a coma for three days, had to learn how to speak, had to learn how to walk, had go- went through all the ups and downs in Hollywood, including substance abuse issues, which he put right out there on Celebrity Rehab, and it's kind of regenerated his career, and now he's considered not only the hardest working man in Hollywood, or hardest working actor in Hollywood, he has been called the man by no other than Leonardo DiCaprio, and everybody respects Eric in Hollywood because he's a consummate pro. He's one of those people where you see him on screen and you have to watch. And he's been in so many projects, so many great movies. I just watched another one of his movies uh, the other day called The Coca-Cola Kid about this, uh, this young marketing executive who gets sent to Australia to kind of buy out a local uh, soft drink manufacturer there. And he, he gets kind of his butt handed to him. And it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting story and a good movie. But Eric's been in so many different projects. And he, I think, as you'll realize during the interview, he's been so open and forthcoming. And he really wants to help. And he wants to help by uh, leading by example, if you will, on how to, 
how important it is to, to keep going, to just keep doing the work and not being so tough, judging yourself and judging others. Do the work. And uh, it's, a, it's an incredible interview. I think you're really going to enjoy it. So Guys Guys Radio. What else is going on out there? Well, here we are uh, uh, still dealing with the pandemic. And I think for the very first time, uh, Americans are, are beginning to realize that you cannot look towards the government to save you, if you will, that you're going to have to do some things on your own. And because there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of mixed messaging, and um, nobody knows what this virus really is all about, as far as I can tell as a, as a citizen, because I'm getting all this different information. So here in California, um, they're now shutting down the bars in L.A. again. And so we're taking kind of a half. We're toggling, as government, Governor Newsom would say, toggling back a notch to, to, to make sure people start to wear their masks and be smart about stuff. And, and I think uh, the way we all need to look at it is we don't know the answers. So let's not politicize it. Let's realize that we've got to be respectful to ourselves and to other people. So, you know, when you got to wear the mask, wear the mask. If you're at home, you don't want to have to sit in the house with the mask on. But if you're going to be interacting with people, when you're with, when you're next to people, you got to have that mask up. Obviously, if you, to me, if you walk down the street, for me, I don't wear the wet mask when I'm walking down the street unless I'm in a crowd. If I have to go into a store, obviously, mask goes up in the elevator, mask goes up, and uh, and you just do the best you can. Well, I go out for a run down here in San Diego along the, on Barcadero. I'm not wearing a mask, but I have one around my neck just in case. So, I think that's what we have to deal with right now because we don't have all the answers. And until then, you know, we're kind of on our own in a lot of ways, and uh, everybody's got to treat each other respectfully and, uh, and mindfully to realize that we're all in this together, people. So let's, let's, let's get after that. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, once again, as I mentioned, our special guest is Eric Roberts, known as the man in Hollywood and also probably the most prolific actor of all time. And he's been in so many incredible projects that I'm so thrilled that he's on Guys Guys Radio because not only it, was it a very good conversation and Eric was very forthcoming, told some new stories, but also he's a really good guy. He's a guy's guy. He's a real gentleman and he, he had no attitude and he and his lovely wife were so, so accommodating, so available that uh, I'm gushing over Eric Roberts because he's really a cool dude and uh, he's one of the very best and I think you're really going to enjoy our interview on Guys Guys Radio. So, without further ado, let's move to our interview portion of our show with our special guest, actor Eric Roberts. It's Guys Guy Radio. All right. As I mentioned, very special Guys Guys radio show today. One of my favorite uh, talented actors and artists is greeting us. His name is Eric Roberts. I'm sure you know his work. I, I went through his bio and it's, he, he's, he's the most prolific actor in Hollywood, basically. Over 600 projects that I, that I counted. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about him because you know him. You may not know him just by name, but you'll know his work. Uh, Runaway Train. Three Golden Globe nominees for Runaway Train, uh, Oscar nomination there, Star 80, King of the Gypsies, Hope of Greenwich Village, uh, the TV version of uh, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, uh, It's My Party, uh, videos, Mr. Brightside, um, 
Where's My Money, Rihanna, um, Raggedy Man, Heaven's Prisoners, The Specialist, The Dark Knight, The Expendables, it goes on and on. So I'm very pleased that Eric Roberts is joining us on Guys Guys Radio. Thank you, Eric, for being here. What a nice intro. Thank you so much for having me, pal. So let's, uh, let's start right at the beginning. Um, because, you know, what, part of what we do on the show is uh, we're trying to help guys. And you had to come overcome a lot of adversity through your career. I mean, you started out, you had an issue with speaking, and then you became an actor. To me, that's amazing. Tell us how you got your start. Uh, you moved from, uh, I guess it was Georgia to New York, and you had some issues to deal with. How did it go? Way before moving, when I was a child, I mean, a little boy, like, like four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten years old, I had a terrible stutter. I could not have a conversation without having the whole classroom grammar school laugh. And uh, it was very hard for me. And so I was very quiet. But I found out at about five, five and a half years old, when I, when I first started reading, that as everyone went around the room and read, if I counted the people and counted the sentences, I can memorize mine. And once I memorized it, I didn't stutter. When you what I was going to say, I never stuttered. So it became an exercise at first to, uh, to memorize things. And then I started to, uh, to apply it to uh, doing plays. And then, I got, and then I got good at it. And then I had fun. And I decided, I'm going to pursue this. And as a little bitty boy, probably eight, nine years old, I had already done probably half a dozen plays. And I decided... I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to win all kinds of awards. I'm going to win an Academy Award. I'm going to Golden Globe. I'm going to do all those things that everybody wants. I'm going to do all of that. And I set out to do it all. And uh, I've had a lot of fun on the way. Wow. Um, so you got to New York and you got on to, I believe, another world. How did you, when you went to New York, how did you kind of get connected into the system to get auditions and to even get work? I was seen at the American Academy of Dramatic Art and doing um, my, uh, my, um, they, you, uh, you do one act plays at the end of your junior year there. And from those plays, they ask you back or not. And I was doing my junior plays that year. And um, a great cast director who ran all casting, all big movies back then, named Marion Doherty, saw me and asked me to come to her office. So I went to her office and she passed me off to Juliet Taylor, who ended up taking over Marion's whole business and cast all the Woody Allen films, all the big movies she cast. And uh, she introduced me to my first manager. And um, he was very innovative. He discovered Sissy Space and Tom Berenger, Chris Walken, Carol Kane, Tom Hulse, all kinds of really great talents. And he discovered me and he got me started. And to be honest with you, it's a lot about luck, pal, because you can be talented, but it's all about being in the right place for the right part at the right time. And you get lucky. And I have been. Well, I remember when I was in the city uh, back in those days, I lived in New York for 30 years, recently moved to Southern California. And correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, you got the role King of the Gypsies. I seem to remember when I was there that there was an open call for King of the Gypsies and anybody could go kind of try out for it. I don't know if it was a promotional stunt or whatever, but I read about it. This is my recollection. And then I read you got the role. I'm like, oh, who is this guy? Eric Roberts. I'd like to see this movie. Is that what happened? Well, the studio wanted a name. They uh, had, uh, had a couple of names in mind, but Frank Pearson, the writer-director, who won an Oscar for, uh, for Cat Blue, wrote Dog Day Afternoon, he, uh, he said, no, I want an unknown. I don't want anybody associated with this part who, who has an identity yet. I want an unknown. So he went looking, and I raised my hand, 
and got lucky enough. Well, congratulations, a fantastic role. What was it like walking into a, a big, big production as kind of your first job in Hollywood, if you will? Well, I was frightened every single day. I was working with Susan Sarandon as my mother, who's only like eight years older than me, it's very funny. Brooke Shields as my baby sister, who was, who was a seasoned pro. Kelly Winters, Jolene Hayden, Judd Hirsch. I was the rookie. So it was a little tricky for me at first. I was, I was, I was very intimidated. I read, I read a story about you with Sterling Hayden, then you went into his trailer the first time and he said, hey man, you want some of this? <laughs> You're like, no, I'm working, dude. I've been, I've been shooting for three weeks and I have my first night shoot I, I never had. And I arrived ready to go to work about 5 p.m. And I'm gonna knock on my trailer, then Mr. Hayden would like to talk to you. Cool. So I go run over the trailer, knock on the door, come in. I open the door, it reeks of hashish. And he's smoking a pipe and he says to me, have a seat, young man. And I do. He says, so, do you get high? I said, I've been known to. Want to? No, I can't when I work because I can't talk if I'm high. Oh, oh, well, I can. <laughs> so, what are we shooting tonight? I said, seven. I know the number. What the F happens? <laughs> so, I told him. And then he says to me, oh, you know, improvisation, young man. I said, I'm all right, good, because that's what we're doing. So wow. we improvised this great scene in the back of a car all night long one night. It's a brilliant scene because of him. And uh, that's, that was my intro to Sterling Hayden. Awesome. And uh, for our listeners, Sterling Hayden, uh, you might remember him playing the kind of crooked cop in The Godfather who gets blown away by Michael uh, in that scene in the Italian restaurant in the Bronx. So from there, Eric... He broke Al Pacino's jaw. That's it? right. That's right. Yeah. So the Pope of Greenwich Village, I, I've got to spend a little bit of time on that, if it's okay with you, because it's just one of my favorite movies of all time. I've met Mickey Rourke just at, in Las Vegas, uh, standing online to bet, uh, bet on the George Foreman, Tommy Morrison fight. He was a cool dude. You guys had incredible chemistry in that movie. And everything I've read about it is that you were originally um, slated to play Charlie, and you wanted to play Paulie, and you did. You really took the character because I read the novel, Vincent Patrick's novel. You really twisted this character in a really fun way. Tell us about that story because you, you almost got bounced from the film because of how you wanted to interpret this iconic character. Well, it was January of that year, and I was up in Hartford doing a Tennessee Williams play. He had just died, so everybody everybody was doing Tennessee Williams, and I get a book and. A, and a screenplay called The Pope of Greenwich Village with, with, with a letter from Koch and Kirkwood, our producers, that said, that said, pick a part. So I looked at, at the script, I read the book, I gave it a lot of thought, and I picked Polly. And they said, you know, why'd you pick Polly? I said, it, it's a more fun part. They said, we well, wanted you to pick Charlie because he's a leading man, we, we, uh, we wanted to, to, uh, to see you in a suit, blah, blah, blah. I said, no, nah, I like to roll a Polly, but I got to warn you. I'm not going to play it as written. I said, he's a, he's a tough thug. That's right. Who's, who's not very smart. And I said, and uh, that's been done 110,000 times. I've done it 400 times. Let's, let's do something else. So I'm going to make him a, a, a mama's boy who wants to be a tough guy. And they said, whatever you want to do, Eric, go do it. We, that's, that's why we hired you. Do what you do. So I did. And, uh, and I just had the best time of my life with that character. Was it your idea to do the perm and the members only jacket and everything? It was hilarious. Yeah, uh, no, no, uh, I, I went downtown. I, 
I started going to literally about Easter that year. And I just spent every day down there just, just watching and observing. And uh, the, uh, the curly hair, there's a lot more curly hair down there than... <laughs> so I did that uh, as an Italian thing. And, uh, and uh, the, uh, the skinny I did because I wanted him to be a walking spaz attack, you know. We, we, we all know one. And uh, they're, they're, they're the guys who always have a great idea. They're always trying too hard. And, uh, and so to be, to be skinny was going to, you know, help that image of that guy. So uh, and after, at, after I got his physicality down, it was, it was just a matter of that incredible script. Vincent Patrick wrote every word of that. Right. Like, all but one line, white bread. No one of these wasps got no color. <laughs> Besides that, he wrote everything in that script I said. That's an amazing job. And the chemistry between you and Mickey Rourke was wonderful because he, he had to really play uh, underplay because you were like pushing a boundary to overplay. And it was a really nice uh, chemistry that went back and forth because it was the movie was like a bromance and a romance because he had Daryl Hannah and they were always hitting the heavy bag and stuff. And then you and Mickey were always, uh, Charlie were always in conflict also in a different way, but there was a love between you guys. You were supposed to be cousins, but it was kind of bromance before, before bromance became what it is. Yes, it was. And uh, Mickey and I, I never broke, broke a character with Mickey. I was always poly with Mickey up to that movie was way over. And uh, he never met Eric up till he got through shooting. Wow. And you guys are still buds now because you appeared in a couple other movies, Expendables and uh, something else you just did about a Fun. year or so ago. Fun was so cool. He gives one of the best performances. You know, two of my favorite performances are Mickey's. One in, in uh, Spun and one in, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Farfly? Uh, Farfly, thank you, good catch. <laughs> oh my God. So we're with uh, Eric Roberts. He's on set, uh, Guys Guys Radio. Fantastic conversation. Um, let's see what else we can get into. So from there, uh, Runaway Train. And I just watched it the other day. You worked with John Voight. What a, what a performance by both of you guys in that. And I actually, forgive me, but I actually saw, felt a little bit of the emotional connection of what you drew out of yourself to play Paulie in the, your character from Runaway Train. I, I thought there was a little bit of that inside there but articulated in a different way. Is that, am I way off base? Well, good for you. Cause what these two guys have in common that are from completely different worlds is they both were never enough in their world to be, to be considered something. They were always considered a loser in their world, but they both didn't want to be that, but they both weren't really tough enough to not be that. They're both kind of, kind of sissy guys in a way. Like the guy in Runaway Train is in jail for statutory rape. Well, I thought she was old and 16. I didn't know. You know, he's just, he's just a freaking idiot. And, uh, but he's sweet. And when I got off of that role, he was also written as a tough thug. And I said, but he's in for statutory rape. But if he talks tell, tell like this, it's going to be weird. But if he's a kid with a little high voice or Southern thing and he's just an idiot, it's going to be, oh, well, you know, I didn't know, you know, and it's forgivable. I yep. said, if you don't make it forgivable, though, it's gross. It's Jeffrey Epstein, and we can't go there with a the character in a movie, mm -hmm. unless that's what it's about. So I said, so you got to let me change, change the part a little bit there, too. And they did. 
Andre Kanchalovsky did. And uh, he was cool with that. Yeah. And, and it was, uh, also, I want to tell you something about John Boyd. At the time, John is six foot two inches tall. John is a sizable dude. And at the time, John weighed what I weigh now, which is 175 pounds. Now, when you're six two, that is skinny, dude. That's like this. Mm -hmm. Well, full body suit. And he pulled it off. He looked incredible, didn't he? Yeah. And wow, I didn't know that. I, I, I had no idea that that was a body suit. He did a great job. He was a wheat grass drinking hippie like guy. Wow. <laughs> Look like a muscle man. Yeah, I know. He's phenomenal, dude. And you know, people don't know that about that part. Uh, he he was not that guy. But you've never known that. You know, it's interesting. I have a seven-year-old son. He loves trains. And I said, okay, you can watch an adult movie with that. And we watched Runaway Train. Of course, I, you know, put my hands over his ears in certain sections and all of that. But he loved the movie on his level. And I love the movie because it's such a metaphor for people who know what they want and other people who really don't. Like your character, he was a tough guy boxer in the prison, yet when it came to facing down John Voight, he couldn't do it because he didn't really know who he was. And it was a real commentary on society. Some people know where they're going and other people don't. You're right, dude, absolutely. So from there, you got the Academy Award nomination. How did that all happen? Were you surprised? Were you like, damn right? Were like, hey, you're one movie too late. Uh, what was your feeling about that as a, as an actor? No. Because, you know, Paulie was to me. So that was, that's, that's a movie that everybody quotes your character from runaway train. Fantastic. To me, you should have got nominations for both of those. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. Um, an Academy Award nomination is such a fantasy. We all want one. We all want an Oscar, but it's such a fantasy that you don't really expect it, even though even though you always want one, you don't really expect it. So when it happens, you're like, oh my God. And I, I just arrived we're, we're at, at my manager, at my manager, at my then manager's office building with a donut shop. And I walked in and my manager came running and he goes, you just got nominated for Academy Award. I said, what? He said, yeah, an Academy Award. You got nominated today. This has been a half an hour ago, blah, blah. So I bought everybody a donut and uh, that was my celebration. <laughs> and, uh, Everybody gets a donut. I'm Eric Roberts. I can everybody Academy Award, you guys. Everybody applauded. And everybody took a donut. I said, have a great day. And Fantastic. that was my celebration. It was just glorious. And uh, for that month, I was everybody's best friend. And everybody knew you were nominated. In showbiz, not in showbiz, everybody knows. And everybody voted for you. Hey, I voted for you. And everybody, <laughs> and it's just, you are a prince. And if you win, you become a king for a year. But you're a prince. And then you lose, and it all goes away that evening. It's gone. But it's the nicest memory of being recognized for something you wanted to be recognized for in a way you wanted to be recognized. It's mm -hmm. glorious. It's a wonderful fit of everything coming together. And you feel thankful, humble, pompous, and proud all at the same time it's glorious now around that time and forgive me because i don't know the exact chronological order of this but you got into a car accident trying to protect a german shepherd i believe and and you got went into a coma for three days and you had to learn how to talk and walk again that's pretty amazing this would have been five years before my Award nomination it was 1981 okay. it was june 4th of 81 i i was in, i was in the middle of my third film called Raggedy Man with Sissy Spacek. Mm -hmm. Great movie. And I was home for a couple of weeks and I was leaving my then girlfriend's house in the middle of the night and uh, had my Jeep with the doors off the Jeep. 
Her dog was in the car with me in the passenger seat. I'm driving down the road. I know very well. I've done it 10 million times. Driving down the road. And the dog leans way out the door. And I take my hands off the wheel and say, sit down. Look up. Oh, I'm going to hit that tree. I don't remember anything for two weeks. I woke up in the hospital. I buzz a nurse. She comes in. Her name was Mary. I, I ended up loving her like family. And I said, what happened to me? And she said, you tried to climb a tree in a CJ5. And I started my recovery. Wow. When you were in the coma, did you, you know, were you have, did you have one of those near-death experiences where you were in a different dimension or anything, or were you just out of it? Well, I did. But to talk about it is weird because your people will, will think of it as whatever it is. It's been called a rising, all kinds of odd things like it's, like it's like it's spiritual, like it's mm -hmm. religious. But what I believe it, what I believe happened to me was, it, it was a chemical reaction because the doctor told me my heart stopped a couple of times, and I believe it's a reaction that happens in the brain when it doesn't get enough oxygen and what have you. But what happened to me was this: the doctor comes in. I've been out of the coma now for about five days, and he said, "How are you today?" And I said, "I have to tell you a story." You're standing here, doctors, nurse, there's only then this guy running in and out with a table, blah, blah, blah. I'm right here over my face looking at myself. I suddenly start to rise and the walls grow with me. I get up where, where the bed is the size of my thumbnail and I have a choice. I either go up or I go back. And I chose to come back. Now, probably just a dream, probably just a chemical reaction for what it felt and looked like while having it was I was outside my body. Mm -hmm. So that's what happened to me in my coma. Got it. I have no idea what it means, mm -hmm. how it happened, or what happened, but that was the experience. Well, it sounds like a lot of good things for you happened after that, so maybe it was a, a rising in a different type of way, Eric. Um, well, thank you. You got Star 80 then. Uh, Bob Fosse was a director. That must have been a real experience because he's a very special director, uh, iconic. What was it like working with him? Yeah, to work with Bob Fosse was a dream come true because Bob Fosse and Kyle Ashby were or had always been my hero. And uh, Kyle Ashby made what I consider to be the hardest movie ever made. And he did it well called Harold and Lloyd. Oh, okay. A love affair with an old woman and a young man. Sounds kind of, I don't need to see that. It's incredible, dude. Yeah, oh, my oh, God. God. It works on every level. But uh, so so they're both my heroes, and I got a, and I got a movie with with with, with Fosse, and it blew my mind. And when I first read that script, Star Eighty, I did not like the part at all. I thought he was on the nose, cliche, obvious, two dimensional. Oh my God, airplanes in this part's going to crash and burn. Oh my God! But it was about Fosse, mm -hmm. so I had to go for it, yeah. and I was lucky enough to get it. Now, subsequent to that, you went into th some uh, period where you, uh, a lot of medical marijuana. I mean, I, when I was in college, every day, all day, that's all we did. And we did a lot of other stuff, of course, but we we're always high. I, I say that now because it's so long ago. But what was the experience like for you? Because, you know, it wasn't really, uh, you weren't doing heroin or anything. It was, you know, your, your main addiction was marijuana. Why is that different? What was it like for you? It was like, I just got to get high. You know, did you build up a tolerance? When did you realize I have to stop this? I know you went on celebrity rehab and all of that, but anything you want to share about that period? No, well, let, let, let me just um, 
going out of the of the experience, and then and then I'll jump to why I did the uh, the rehab show because there okay. was a reason for it, and that is I started smoking pot at thirteen, and what and what THC does is it kills all anxiety. You don't you don't have overconfidence like with like like with a speed or like your cocaine, right? But you have calmness. You have I am fineness. I am okay. I am acceptable. I am not odd. I am not uncomfortable. You have no anxiety. You I, and and since you well, you don't have false you know, bravado, you're in a nice place. And uh, so that's why it became a drug of choice for me. But I also took a detour when I first got into show business. I mean, in, into 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 the film world, because cocaine ruled that world completely for about about two and a half decades. And uh, and in the 70s, it peaked. I became I became a movie star in 1978. Well, once again, I can't talk about if I do drugs, so I couldn't do drugs at work. But after hours, I did that drug for decades. And it's a horrible drug. It can ruin your life and all your relationships. And uh, it's not smart. But uh, everybody was doing it. And I was a young country bumpkin. Let's be cool. And uh, yeah, found in that in that trap as well. But uh, then I got rescued by love. That was my next question. Um, meeting the right woman, marrying the right woman. For myself, uh, it happened 12 years ago. And uh, we just celebrated our 10th and it's made all the difference in my life. And I know the same happened to you and uh, Aliza, who we uh, just spoke to uh, earlier. Uh, she's been managing you, I guess, and everything's working out wonderfully. Uh, tell us about the, the why marriage and having the right partner can be such so beneficial and can be so important. I, not everybody finds love. You have it. I have it. We're lucky guys. Everybody needs my wife. She's attractive. She's smart. She's funny. She's organized. She's formed. I got it made, dude. I'm telling you, I got it made. And uh, what happened was I got a call from an agent's assistant. Had a little crush on me. And she explained to me that the agency was turning down a bunch of things because they weren't enough money for the agency without telling me. I said, have you got a list of them? She said, yes. She sent me the list. It was millions of dollars of stuff over time. So I called in all the agents, huge agency, big blue chip agency. Called them all in the big conference room. I said, hey, you guys, I'm firing you. But before I do, I have to tell you, don't ever badmouth me because I'm not going to see you, but I might. So don't, don't, ever, don't ever talk about me. See you guys. And they didn't. And I went home that day and I said to my wife, you're the boss. And she goes, I don't know if I can do this. I said, of course you can. You've been doing it anyway. We're on our own now. And then about, it started about, 2003 but by 2008 she says everybody can afford a camera now and they're buying them and they're calling for you from all over the world she says you can be in a film set every day for the rest of your life if you want to be the way it looks what you want to go chase this i said yes so we have been so from 2008 to 2018 we saw the world for free a couple of times and I made hundreds of movies. We had hundreds of great dinners in great foreign places and had a time of our lives. And I got to be on a movie set almost every single day. 
Well, that's congratulations. That's so amazing. And it was a great decision because today, as you can see what's happening with the business, there's going to be thousands of people with cameras who are going to want you because now the business has been fractionalized in a lot of ways. So sure, there'll be some big productions, but everybody's doing a podcast. Everybody's doing videos. Everybody's doing YouTube. Everybody's making a movie, right? Everybody has the power now. Right. Everybody's mm -hmm. their own production company. That's right. Now, how do you uh, qualify projects that come your way? You've done a lot of music videos. You're kind of like Mr. Lucky with the videos, with the Killers, with Mariah Carey. Seems like uh, Rihanna, they always bring you back. And one of the things I noticed, Eric, if I might, is that I think one of the keys to your success is that when you're on camera, you're immediately noticed. I, was, I, I remember watching, you were, I know you were on Entourage and they went out to uh, Joshua Tree to do the mushrooms that time. It was hilarious. But when I watched the Entourage movie, I was watching it, and then Mark Wahlberg came on the screen, and I'm like, wow, that's a movie star, and the other guys are TV stars. You transcend TV, movie, video. You always grab the camera. What, what is it about you that, that makes that happen? What is that magnetism that you have? And is that true that some talents in Hollywood are like, this is a TV guy, and this is a film guy? Does that happen? Asking me to sound like I can be totally objective about my physical self. Of course I cannot be. I don't know what you're talking about. I've been told this, sure. I would love to believe it, sure. I don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't go there because then I'll watch myself. And once an actor watches himself, he becomes mediocre. So you cannot watch yourself. So, so to answer your question, I don't know. I'm just having fun, dude. And the great thing about what I do is I, is I get to be, to have been very serious fun. And I get to have lots of silly fun. I get to have every kind of fun there is. And I get to, to do work I really care about. I mean, I mean, I just got through playing a part. It's the hardest thing I had since It's My Party in 1993. And this was a piece called My Last Best Friend. I played two characters. Man, was it hard. Man, and I had one day in between my last film and that film. And that's the schedule I had to say to. I could not get any grace. Can I have one more day, please, to prep? No, Eric, it's got to start. That's what the bank says. That's also, that's also hard now, too, with little movies. They're tied to an eight-day, 10-day, 12-day schedule, and they cannot deviate. It's all the money and all the time they have. So as an old veteran, you have to respect that, and you have to give everything you can in their time slot. You can't say, but I need one more day. You can't hang them out to dry like that. So it's a real test on your work ethic and your character, as well as their need, and you have to make a match up. Sometimes you want to kill somebody, but you can't. Yeah, well, you're a pro. I mean, you do it. Everybody. Right. It's on autopilot. You're a pro. That's muscle memory to you at this point. I would, I would assume. I hate to call it that because it sounds like a cop out, but to some degree, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're a vegan. Um, I'm a pescatarian. I'm working my way towards vegan. Why did you become a vegan, and how do you do it? Okay. To be perfectly honest with you. I'm a vegan because of my wife, because by choice, I would eat chicken and white fish every single day because of the taste and the, and the health. But my wife finally convinced me after years of, well, how can you eat that? That was a person, that was a beast, that was an animal, that was, a, that was you. And she's right. I hate to admit it, of course she's right. And uh, it's, it's the same thing as being a, you know, it's horrible. 
So that's why I gave it up. But it was actually not by choice. It was by love. And uh, how do you feel now that you've done? How long have you been a vegan? How long? How do you feel? And when when we struggle with me veganism? Oh gosh, um, you know when you this read is the Lisa, this is uh, Eric's friend. wife. It was like three, four. It, hi. Hi. It was like I'm on yeah. set. So I'm a mess. Like, like three, four, four years, years ago. Yeah. And uh, yeah. were you were you a vegan for a long time, Eliza? Very long time. I figured out how to do that through pregnancy and nursing and everything. It's just a huge. Uh, it's just for humane reasons that we mm -hmm. do this. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. It's interesting. My wife convinced me when I went out with her the first time. I, she was vegetarian, and I'm like, I was ready to order a cheeseburger, and I'm like, no, I won't this time. And I never ate uh, beef again. It took me a year to get off chicken. And now we both eat fish just to make it easy. And we have a child. Right. But um, we're, I'm heading in that vegan direction. But it seems like it's a real leap. It's amazing. You know, now we have a grandchild. Who's just, she lives for animals. She's in love with animals. Mm -hmm. And um, she's only 15 months old. But whenever she was to discover that something on her plate, was one of her animal friends, a little dick or anything, she would freak out. So, we, you know, we sort of feel exactly the same way that a little baby would. Right. Okay. Now, what are you shooting today, Eric? What's, uh, what are you on the set for? If you're allowed to say. I can call it in. Okay. This is working title. <laughs> working title is My Redneck Neighbor. Redneck. And it actually has a wonderful, uh, a wonderful moral. It's a message movie. But yeah, because basically it's, it's uh, some a bunch of rednecks living next door to a big Asian family, and they just are kind of conditioned to hate each other. And um, my son is ill, and the redneck family runs a car wash to raise the money to treat him, and we all become friends. And especially now, when there's a lot of prejudice going on against anybody from Asia, from any part of Asia. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so this movie is a romp. It's a comedy. But it makes a really good point. It's, it uses every kind of stereotype and it's very extreme, but it definitely makes a good point. Okay, we're almost done. What else is in the pipeline for you, Eric, since you guys have so many projects? And who would you like to work with that you haven't worked with yet? I read about that you've read for Tarantino, and I think you'd be perfect in one of his films. Well, tell him. I'd love to know. <laughs> we're telling him right now. Yeah, I'd love to work for him. Uh, there's a lot, you know, there's Soderbergh. Who, who's, who's the woman who we, who we were talking about last night? Um, a director that we were talking yeah. about last night who we love? The woman director, woman director last night. Who was Woman director. You never say man director, do you? <laughs> well, we will, though. Uh, okay. well, let, me, right, let me think. My mom? No. All right. Let's let's, let's move let's move to uh, another a guy's issue. Uh, Ed. Now you uh, you have a relationship with a company that has a product called the Phoenix. And what uh, I find so interesting about it is number one, fifty two percent of guys have experienced some type of Ed. It's it's an issue that's out there. I don't have a problem. You don't have a problem. But uh, hey, we're all aware of it. And what I loved about what I read about the Phoenix is that it uses sound healing, so it's natural. It's not a I don't know I don't know exactly what it is, but tell us a little bit about that, Eric. My wife says, if I say I don't have ED one more time, everybody's going to see me do it. <laughs> uh, no, the, uh, the thing is, you know, why I'm on board with this is how it made sense to me. Because when my, one of my dear friends approached me, he's an inventor, Jonathan Hoffman, cool cat. And he says, I have an invention and it's the cure for ED, dude. And I'm like, great, have fun with that. No, I need you to talk about it. I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. 
understanding no but eric here's why men have ed and he explained to me why men have ed it made such sense to me that i had to get it out there for people because it's an issue for guys and we're all going to experience it sometime so we might as well buck up the fact that yeah it's an issue and here's what causes it we have plaque in our bloodstream it affects our heart the same way it stops all the good blood flow and we have to and we have to have all kinds of done to our heart eventually. Right. Okay, same thing with the appendage. It stops blood flow and it's just plaque in the bloodstream. That's all it is. Now, at the sex clinic since the 1970s, they've had a cure for it, but it's expensive. And they, that's a machine that has these sound waves and you open in your shaft with it for 20 minutes and it breaks up the plaque and you have better blood flow. So, so, so suddenly you, you don't have VD anymore. Okay, wow. but it costs. 3,000 bucks a visit, and you had to go to the clinic, and you had to deal with somebody holding your appendage while they're doing this thing up and down. It's all weird. It's all uncomfortable. It's all expensive. So my friend comes out with a portable version you can do by yourself at home, and it works. I tried it. I awesome. tried it because I tried. I had to find out. It was cool. And also, I get my wife in on it. Come on, let's, <laughs> let's, let's do this, you know? And so, you know, it's the whole thing is comfortable, fine, and there's no shame once you know it. It's about your, your, your desire or your ability to perform. It's about plaque, dude. And when you're rid of the plaque, you've got your world. Man. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, plaque affects, you know, uh, Alzheimer's and dementia and stuff like that. So great point, that's Eric. That's Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay, um, your family, you have come from a show business family, your daughter's Emma Roberts, everybody knows your sister, but you have a brother-in-law, I think, or a son-in-law, Keaton Simmons, see, I see your son-in-law, son and he's got a band? Stepson, okay. He doesn't have a band, he, he is, he plays everything there is. Okay. He has several bands, but he, uh, he, uh, he opened Vera Clapton, he, uh, he, uh, he, uh, he just came out to a great young, to sold out stadiums all over Europe, they closed him down with the COVID, of course. And uh, he, he's, my, he's my favorite singer-songwriter. And uh, his last album is called... By Chance. By Chance. I believe it's his seventh or eighth album. And uh, he is... He's all over TV I've, and film. I've known a songwriter like this since Cat Stevens. He gets you, man. He's something. He's all over TV. He's all over, all over episodic TV. He did a bunch of stuff with Suits. He wrote, he wrote the exit song for, uh, for Meghan Markle, When I Go. Or one, two, three, go, whatever, whatever they ended up calling you. And KeatonSimons.com. Okay. Uh, go, oh, go listen. Got it. So, uh, Eric Roberts, Guys, Guys Radio, you've been fantastic. I don't want to take up any more of your time because I know you're on set. Here for you, dude, whatever you want. Uh, well, uh, let's see. I, I like to hear about your TV experience because you're on Burn Notice, Entourage, Suits, Brooklyn Nine Nine. You did the In Cold Blood TV version, which was fantastic. Any, awesome. any, any difference in uh, it, my background's advertising, so I've been on a ton of sets, but what would you feel about the experience of shooting TV versus movies, if any? difference anymore. There, there, there was a difference when I, when I first got into film and TV because, you know, film was like a paid vacation with everything prearranged. It was all set up and you step by step by step by step, perfect and wrecked. TV was hurry, 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 hurry. Right. Now they're both hurry, 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 hurry. <laughs> and you had the same time in film now that you have for television because they all end up in the same place. So all the powers that be say, why spend more money? Why spend more time? Get it done. And 
since law, since artists stopped running Hollywood and now lawyers run Hollywood, right? No more film. There's no more beauty. It's just product done. Last question for you, Eric. Since you have come overcome so much adversity, you made the right decisions. You have the right partner. You're successful and you are adaptable. You changed your career. You adapted, which I find is uh, it's so fantastic to to see somebody who does that. What what is your um, advice for the guys out there? You know, everybody goes through their own trials and tribulations, and a lot of people just give up or they just say, "Forget it." They shut down. You kept going and you adapted, and to me, that is highly commendable. Well, I said to my wife one time, "But I don't like that part." And my wife said, but you like that director. Work leads to work. That's the only thing that does. If you don't work, you don't lead to other work. If you work, you lead to work. So I said, okay, I'm going to follow that for a while and we'll see how that goes. It went so well, I'm still following it. Well, you're awesome. I, I got to tell you, one of my favorite actors, the Paulie Roll, uh, my friends and I, we quoted it for 20, 30 years because I was there in New York at that time. I'm Italian. You nailed it. You and Mickey Rourke nailed those roles. So thank you for that. Thank you for all your work, all your career, for making the right decisions and for being on Guys Guys Radio. You're the man, Eric Roberts. I love and respect. There's never been a better time for men to be whoever they want to be. Yet it's never been less clear who men really are. Guys Guy Radio, starring author Robert Manny, is on KCAA every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Whether it's relationships, sex, wellness, or spirituality, join Robert as he interviews the experts about how men and women can be at their best. Guys Guy Radio, better men, better world. It's Guys Guy Radio. All right. Guys Guys Radio, Robert Manny, your host here. And I am so pleased with that conversation with Eric Roberts. First of all, for the show, it was, uh, it was a great get, as we say in the business, getting Eric Roberts. He's legendary. Leonardo DiCaprio calls him the man. He has uh, more projects done in Hollywood than any other actor of all time. And he's still, you know, he's still in his prime and he's terrific. So forgive my gushing over my guest, Eric Roberts. But as you can tell, he's a good guy, cool guy, perfect gentleman, and has an incredible, incredible body of work. I mean, just going through, we didn't get to everything. I mean, he was in some really terrific movies. I I just watched The Coca-Cola Kid the other day about this executive, uh, American executive who goes down to Australia and really gets his butt handed to him, and another good movie. And he's just in so many, uh, some of the videos you may, may have seen Eric in, Mr. Brightside and Miss Atomic Bomb for the Killers, Mariah Carey's videos uh, that she did for the Emancipation of Mimi uh, album, and also uh, the Akon and Eminem video for Smack That, as well as Rhiannon's videos. So he's been all over the videos. TV, he actually did the celebrity uh, celebrity uh, rehab, and uh, that was pretty gutsy. Um, again, Runaway Train, Star 80, King of the Gypsies, uh, Less Than Perfect, 
Final Analysis, Pope of Greenwich Village, Raggedy Man, Baby Feeder, Fever, Heaven's Prisoners, The Specialist, and The Grave, and The Dark Knight. Great movie, great Batman movie. Um, so he's just one of those people where he's on the screen, you take notice, Eric Roberts. So we're so pleased to have him on Guys Guys Radio. And also, what did we really learn? Well, I, I think we learned something special from Eric, and that is to persevere. He had a stuttering issue as a child, and he became an actor. He went into a coma and had to relearn how to talk and walk and overcame those challenges. He went through the ups and downs of Hollywood, everything from the Oscar nomination for Runaway Train into uh, some personal issues that he had and then resurrecting himself and just doing an amazing job. And I think the best is yet to come. And I think that's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that for everyone, that the best is yet to come if you keep in your mindset the fact that, yes, the world is a giving place. Yes, the universe has my back. Yes, I am open to and I know how to receive and I'm going to do the work. And the biggest thing there is doing the work. Uh, Eric Roberts never gave up. Um, his, his lovely wife is guiding his career. They're qualifying all the opportunities that come his way. And he is what he's doing is way ahead of the curve because now uh, Hollywood, for the time being at least, is a little bit fractionated because it's hard to do some of those big projects. You see so many actors and casts, casts rather, have their own podcasts now. I'm competing now with Don Lemon of CNN. I'm competing with uh, The Sopranos, Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa. Now Entourage has a podcast. I mean, everybody, all, all these actors in Hollywood, they're doing podcasts now because maybe they're not shooting anything else. I don't know, but it's a, it's a wild west out there. But we're here on Guys Guys Radio every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio in Southern California, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 a.m. Uh, the replay of the broadcast on Terrestrial Radio plays on KCAA every Sunday at 6 p.m. And then the podcast drops every Thursday worldwide. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on TuneIn, uh, Spotify iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, uh, KCA.com, you can stream, Blog Talk Radio, you can go to my website, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I.com, and you'll get uh, the podcast there, as well as you can pick up three free chapters of the source material for Everything Guys Guy, and that would be three chapters from my critically acclaimed novel, The Guys, Guys, Guide to Love about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City, the market where they play for keeps, and it's a fun, sexy romp, and it's been called the male successor to Sex in the City. Also on the, on the website, we've got over 350 blogs, lots of content about relationships and health and well-being, all free, robertmanny.com. And also, now you can catch our podcast on YouTube. Uh, Robert Manny author, or just Google Robert Manny when you get to YouTube, M-A-N-N-I, and you'll find our new channel, and we're getting lots of subscribers, and what we're doing there is uh, Guys Guys TV featuring the best of Guys Guys Radio and a lot of other video stuff. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every week for you, and we're your advocate, and um, I ask the questions of my guests that I think you would ask, or if you were driving in your car, you're going down the 5 or the 101 or wherever you are, or the 8, and you say, hey, I, why doesn't he ask that? Well, I, I do my best to do that. But I also ask what I feel like asking now because I think now 
that I've done 400 and, I don't know, about 20 shows that I've, I've earned the, my stripes to be able to just ask what I feel like asking. And I hope that makes for uh, interesting listening for you. So anyhow, Guys Guys Radio, we're here every week, Wednesday, and the podcast, all 420 of the podcasts are available for free downloading whenever you want worldwide. So thanks so much for listening. Thank you, my listeners. Thank you, my guests. And uh, we'll see you all next week. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold.